My name is Curtis Dixon, and you're listening to Pro Across Talk. On Schreiber. Snyder with scores. Cadell scores. Hands off for Rabel. Switches hands and scores. Kylie Omeller showing off those shifty skills. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk, the voice of Pro Lacrosse. I'm Hutton, he's Adam. Together we're bringing you interviews with your favorite players and coaches as well as news from all four professional lacrosse leagues. Welcome everyone to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. Today I'm joined by Dan Arestia, Pro Lacrosse Talk contributor and premier insider in professional lacrosse. Uh, You've probably seen his scoops on Twitter or articles on our website and we're happy to have him make his podcast debut today. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, I'm excited to be here. You know, Dan, uh, we really appreciate you you joining us. This is your first time on the Pro Lacrosse Talk podcast, but you're no stranger to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Uh, you've been writing for us for months now, and uh, we we really enjoyed having you be part of the team. Um, and we're really excited, you know, kind of to talk about all this latest free agency news, um, as well as some player movement currently occurring between the MLL and PLL. And then later, um, Adam Moore is going to join me to discuss the crazy and controversial week that was in the NLL. Um, but before we do that, uh, let's get started with our fastest fast break. It's time for the fastest fast break. We start off at Nassau Coliseum where the New England Black Wolves are taking on the New York Riptide. The Riptide remain even keel with the Black Wolves throughout, but Andrew Pugh and Callum Crawford are too much for them to handle as the Black Wolves win 12-8. Riptide's second game of the weekend. They go to Rochester to take on the Nighthawks. The battle between the expansion franchises. Tank for teat in full effect. This was a game of runs as the Nighthawks Get out to an early lead after the second and deny a late comeback attempt by the Riptide to win 13-12. to Then in Saskatchewan, the Rush are hosting the Toronto Rock in a battle between two heavyweights. Both Eric Kirk and Nick Rose put up gems, but it is the Toronto Rock who come out victorious 9-8. to Then in Halifax's first game of the weekend, in the second matchup between these two teams of the season, the Bandits will prevail in Banditland. They get the 13-9 victory to move ahead of the Thunderbirds in the standings. Then out in the Loud House in Colorado, it's the Mammoth hosting the Wings. This one was tight throughout, but Colorado, thanks to newly acquired Tyler Digby, got off to a large lead and thwarted a late comeback attempt by the Wings to win 11-10. Then we head to the controversy in Calgary, where the visiting Seals go toe-to-toe with the Calgary Roughnecks. This game started out as a shootout, with Dane Dobie registering a sock trick in the first half, but Frank Sigliano came in to be San Diego's savior. As they get tremendous goalie play out of him, and some fortunate calls from the ref to take this Western matchup 13-12. Then the Swarm go all the way out west to take on Vancouver. Both teams desperate for a win. But the Swarm were all over the Warriors in this one as they get a 14-7 victory. And then the final game of Week 14, the Thunderbirds take on the Black Wolves, both in their second game of the weekend. The Wolfpack lights up the scoreboard as Callum Crawford and Andrew Pugh register 15 points between them as New England gets their second victory of the weekend over Halifax, 16-10. to 10. That's your fastest fast break. All right, so that is our fastest fast break. Uh, now I'd like to discuss these two big PLL trades with you, Dan. I'll start off with the trade that sent Miles Jones from the Chaos to the Redwoods in exchange for Sergio Salcedo and a second-round pick. Uh, what were your thoughts on this blockbuster deal? You know, uh, my my first reaction to it was it's, it's going to take some time before we really know 
you know, who wins the trade or, or if this really was a good trade or however you want to try and break that down. Um, you know, looking at sort of the, the parts individually, uh, that draft pick, you know, in, in some sports that are that are bigger where there's a million teams, you know, the, the NFL, whatever, with 30-something teams, NBA with 30-something teams, a second-round pick might not seem quite as sexy of an asset to be throwing in there. But when your league has seven teams in it and the seventh or a second-round pick is the 13th pick in the draft, that's that's an impact spot. That's an impact player. You know, if you take a look at, um, you know, I like to go by Paul Carcatera's big board. Um, he's been doing some great content you know, from that point of view, you look at his top 10 guys, you know, the 10th ranked guy on his big board is Jeff Teat. You know, you look down his list, guys, guys like Ryan Tarafenko and, and Peter Durth and impact two-way middies like that aren't even on there yet. Those are guys that are ranked, you know, six, seven, just in their conference on Clark's big board. You know, that, that pick um, was something that I, I think really carries some weight, but, you know, really, I think that second round pick for the chaos probably becomes the, uh, the place where they try and address the loss of Kyle McClancy, and that's why I mentioned Durth and, uh, and Tarafenko as possibilities in that spot if, if they don't go earlier. Looking at the other pieces, uh, Salcedo going to the chaos. You know, my first thought was I didn't I didn't really quite get the fit for him there. The chaos had some ball dominant players, you know, as it is. You know, they had some possessions during the year, um, even some where people were wondering if it was a problem. Where you know, Connor Fields will carry the ball for 30, 35 seconds or so of a possession. And, you know, there are times where he should do that. This is a guy who's as good as anybody on earth at getting his own shot and, and scoring spectacular goals. But, you know, Salcido is a guy who I think of personally as, as a lefty creator, as somebody who maybe can play on the lefty wing for them or in lefty alleys. But, you know, they have Fields who needs to dodge. They have Fercaro, who's a good north-south dodger for them. They have other guys who are going to want the ball on their stick, and there's a lot of guys who are going to want shots on that team. And I know Salcedo is going to be a guy who wants to be in that creator role, wants to be a midfield alpha on offense kind of guy. And, you know, 52-second shot clock and not that many possessions means maybe his role isn't as big as he would like. So that was that was where my mind ran to it right away. Um, of course, the chaos could easily just change up their style of play. They have assets and they have pieces. They have all these attackmen. You know, they have a, just a wealth at attack. And yeah can decide they want to do something different than they did last year or change up their style a little bit. And, you know, maybe they do that and they try and build a way to balance a little better where Salcedo can do that. And, and, you know, that would be obviously Andy Towers is coach of the year. He's, he's a guy you can trust maybe to make that move, make that adjustment. Yeah, no. And I'm, you mentioned the wealth of attack. That's why I was surprised, you know, there wasn't an attackman kind of, um, included in this deal. And, you know, I don't think the, the Redwoods are really in, I didn't think they were in bad shape after that expansion draft at all. I thought they were in the best shape out of anybody. So that's why I was a little surprised. Uh, so I wasn't really a fan of the trade just because I don't think either team really got better, but either team didn't really get worse either. It's just to me, it was just, you know, a trade for a trade's sake in in my mind a little bit. Um, you know, obviously these are two very different players in Miles Jones and Sergio Salcedo. And you mentioned, you know, the pick is, you know, huge too. I think that's a big win for the chaos who do need to replace um, you know, their short stick defensive midi losing, you know, McClancy. And then, um, you know, on defense, I think there's some holes to fill too. They lose Brody Merrill, but, um, you know, their defense that kind of struggled uh, down the stretch a little bit. Um, so I was, you know, hoping they'd maybe trade more for need. Um, I don't know if they necessarily did that, but, you know, again, there's still plenty of, uh, of time to make trades. And as you mentioned, you know, this entry draft is going to be loaded. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And, um, you know, the college draft too, there's just so many 
good players available that it's kind of, you know, like you said, tough to make a, a judgment on this just right away. But uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. I mean, Miles, I think it's going to be a great fit though on the, the Redwoods. Him and Joe Walters have a lot of chemistry going back to the Bayhawks and having him and Brent Adams or, you know, a Sergio Perkovic on the same line is just insane to kind of think about. I know Joe Keegan added too that the lefties have scored on 40% of passes from Miles in six on six sets last year. Um, that's a really high percentage, and I think that you know makes him gonna fit well in with Kavanaugh, who's a lefty on attack. You know, and obviously we know Matt Kavanaugh can kind of do it all. He's a good feeder, but also a good finisher as well. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of tough to tell, but um, you know, it, it was it definitely made a splash. It definitely you know got our interest all week. Uh, we recapped that a little bit in our, our article we have on the website. Uh, just how much it sent social media into a storm, and I think that was by design. But uh, it certainly worked in that regard. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I I kind of like Miles to the Redwoods. Um, you know, I think, you know, I I looked at sort of the season that Sergio Perkovic, you know, you had mentioned him last year, had had where in the beginning of the year, I think as players were getting used to the PLL rule set and and finding their way around the field and how they could you know adjust their game to it, I think Perkovic had a bit of a hard time with that. You saw him; he just seemed like there were days where he was just struggling to get going. But by season's end, um, you know, Nat and that Redwoods coaching staff had had gotten Perkovic comfortable in this role where he was at wings on face-offs. He was, you know, a, a meaningful player on the defensive end. And when you're able to do that with a midi like him, those those opportunities in transition are going to come. And you see, like, you know, he can hit a two like he did in the title game from, you know, from the parking lot. So, you know, if, if you're in a position where you can have a defense out there with their the stout poles that they have, whatever four poles they decide to put on the field, you know, whatever Notre Dame defense they, they run out there, yeah. along with, you know, Perkovic and Miles playing quality short stick defense, and then they go to clear with John Sexton and Miles Jones and Sergio Perkovic running down the field at you, it's tough to even try and sub off with all three of those guys going down the field. You know, that, that's, that's, a, that's just a way you can really, really put pressure on the other team with a transition game with players like that. So if, if Matt can provide some of that polish to Miles to, to really build that two-way midi the way he did with Sergio by year's end last year, I think then you've got quite the monster at the midfield on your hands with the Redwoods. Yeah, no, for sure. I think they're the team that really, I don't really see any holes, you know. I mean, again, they didn't lose anybody really in the expansion draft, uh, you know, too detrimental to their team that they couldn't replace. Um, you know, obviously, Carolunas goes to the, the Water Dogs, but you have Larkin Kemp waiting in the wings, you know, and then they lose Westberg. But, you know, Clark Peterson, we forget that he was, you know, getting a lot of time on attack before Ryder Garnsey came into the picture, too. So he's another guy that I think is going to, you know, come back and maybe see an increased role. You got JoJo Morasco. I mean, they're just they're just loaded right now. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, really early in the spring here to make a claim, but I think the Redwoods are my favorite right now to, you know, make a run for that championship. Yeah, and then we had another trade, uh, too, that we were, this one we were expecting a little bit more. Uh, we didn't know which team we end up on, uh, but Romar Dennis gets his wish and is traded to the Atlas. Atlas acquired the Chrome's 20th overall pick while the chrome get their 17th so really they just exchange third rounders and the chrome move up three spots uh in return for romar dennis so kind of a steal for the atlas here um you had him going to the archers in one of your uh proposed deals that we had on our website you know had a lot of fun with that i had him going maybe the chaos uh, but he lands on the atlas uh how do you think he'll fit in with this uh, atlas offense you know i think it's going to be interesting to see i think you know primarily i think the change of scenery is important um 
you know, he he'd spoken with me, you know, earlier, and then he he spoke again to to Paul Rabel on Paul's Unbuckled Chinstrap podcast, yep. and he, you know, sort of the the challenges of the role he had in year one and going unprotected and and dealing with that. It's interesting. I don't know if if you heard it, but Romar talking to Paul today had mentioned the Archers too as a possible landing place where he thought he might fit, because you know they're they're a team that needs a, a quality, really good Dodger out of the midfield. Mm-hmm. You know, you got you have obviously you have Captain America, you got Schreiber, but um, you know they lose Ipe, and it's tough to see if Ryan Ambler is going to be that kind of guy at the midfield. But Romar would provide that. But mm-hmm. he goes to the Atlas, and I'm not I'm honestly not convinced it's the best spot for him. You know, there's there's a lot of guys on that team who need shots. You know, there's a lot of guys on that team who want to get the ball on their stick quite a bit as well. Um, and then, you know, for me, I I consider sort of the the 18-man roster. And when you start like breaking it down, you've got you know you, you're probably going to address five poles. So if you get a penalty, you don't play man down with with a shorty. Yep. You're going to go five poles. Probably gonna go four attack. You go one face-off guy. You go two goalies. That leaves you room for six middies. Two of those guys maybe are going to try and be short stick specialists for the Atlas. You call it, you know, call it Richard and um, maybe Understein or something like that. And then that leaves you. You have to pick four from Rabel, from Busick, from now Romar, from uh, John Crawley, from Joel Tinney. He's absolutely an impact guy too. Yeah. You know, I'm. I just I I try and find the places. Or the, or the times where you're really going to be able, you know, you want to make sure that you trade it for this guy, that you can get him in the 18. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is the kind of roster decisions that, that Ben Rubior is going to have to be making now. So um, that midfield spot has a lot of guys in it. And like I said, there's a lot of guys who are going to want to take some shots. You know, Busick is going to want shots. Um, you know, you've got Ryan Brown out there. You've got, you know, Paul is a great uh, uh, passing midfielder. And I think, you know, I think Joe Keegan had said he's a he's near the league lead, if not the league lead. And, in that hockey assist stat. Yeah, he he was the leader in secondary assists. Yeah, you know he's the guy who's going to do that, and um, there's a lot of guys who are going to need some shots. And I, I I hope Romar gets in a place where he's comfortable, you know, being on the field more. I know he had mentioned his his time was limited with the Chrome, and he did only was taking you know two shots a game, so it's tough to find rhythm. I would hate to see that sort of happen again, where he's in a, an offense where there's a lot of middies that are going to be on the field and a lot of guys who are going to be taking some shots and, you know, you want to make sure he gets his share there. So, you know, for that reason, I wasn't totally convinced the Atlas was the best spot for him, but, you know, I think the coaching staff that's there is is probably going to be a better match for him. It sounds like, and, you know, hopefully they can come up with a system where, uh, where he can get the touches he wants. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and uh, I, I think he has the opportunity, you know, if he can really develop to be, you know, another deep threat for them. But you're right, the, this limited roster, you know, that we're down to 18 is is definitely tough. And uh, I know he personally thinks that too. I reached out to him. We're going to put out like an Instagram post on him. And he told me he's like, he's looking forward to getting to training camp, working hard, and hopefully cracking this roster. So I don't think he takes that for granted at all. Um, and, you know, I think you can kind of see him really – uh, refocusing for this season. And I, again, like you said, I think a change of scenery is good for him. Uh, whether we don't think the Atlas is the best spot for him uh, remains to be seen, but at least he does have that change of scenery um, and he is able to now, you know, kind of have a fresh start uh, in 2020. Um, but that kind of concludes the big trades uh, from the PLL perspective. Uh, we also, though, had a lot of player movement that you actually were the one that released, Dan. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about you released a list of eight people. Um, you had quite the news day on Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> I think it's safe to say you firmly cement yourself as the go-to guy when it comes to the pro lacrosse scoops. I know Jake Fricaro went as far as to call you the woe to pro lacrosse, which I have been saying internally, but now, you know, you're actually getting recognition from a professional athlete. So, uh, and who cares about my word? Jake Fricaro is the guy who said it, but, um, how's it, how's it been kind of, you know, accepting that role? Let's start before we kind of get into these eight guys that you mentioned. How's it been kind of, Becoming that go-to guy, a little bit of you know, tell me a little bit about how that transformation has come about. Well, it's it's nice of you to say, and it was nice of Jake to say as well. I you know I, I sent him a quick note. And I just said I appreciate the shout and everything. I don't uh, I don't think of myself as as Woj caliber. Uh, uh-huh. I don't think anybody is Woj until they're you know at the draft with a thesaurus and they're they're tweeting out you know NBA draft picks minutes before they happen on TV and just using funny <laughs> flowery verbs to do it. I think until you're doing that, you're not quite Woj. But, you know, I um, it's nice to, to be thought of that way, I guess. It's nice of people to think of me as somebody they can trust uh, when it comes to this kind of thing. Um, you know, I, uh, I've, talking to you, I've talked to you about this before, but, you know, for me, just as, a, as like a sports fan, like my favorite times in sports, you know, when it's – I mean, I love the NBA. I'm a suffering Knicks fan, so what else do I have to look forward to other than the offseason? But, um, you know, for me – it's all about that week right when free agency starts or when the trade deadline is hitting and there's just rumors everywhere and people want to talk about contracts and who's going to go there. Can you believe they're going to maybe include this guy in the trade? I heard this, you know, all the way down to like the weird social media stalking of like so-and-so saw this player at the airport in Chicago. He's totally going there or whatever. You know, I love that element of, of being a pro sports fan and I want so badly for pro lacrosse to have that as well um so you know it, it's for me I'm, I'm trying to you know use some relationships that i have um and and that kind of thing just to to bring that to, to fans it seems like people enjoy it it seems like players enjoy it um you know I, I think it's a fun part of the pro sports landscape and it's one that's been missing kind of from pro lacrosse for a long time you know i've, I've been around and been a fan of pro lacrosse since the ml started i was going to Harbor Yard to see the barrage all the way back when. So, um, but you know, a year ago when the PLL was launching and they were like, we're coming out and the players are coming soon. And all anybody wanted to do was try and figure it out. Who's going to go, who's going to stay. I was like, this is great. And it would be great if we could do something like this all every off season or at trading deadlines or in trading windows in the case of the PLL, whatever it might be like, this this kind of buzz is so good for the game. Let's just keep it going. Let's keep doing this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I we've really enjoyed it. Me and Adam, you know, we we watched the MLL and um now, you know, with the PLL emerging, it was like you said, the biggest question was, well, who's going to which league? And I mean, this off season, I don't think it's a hyperbole to say that it's been the best off season of professional lacrosse, and that's because we get to talk about this and you know talk about the player movement we're going to talk about too, with guys going over to the league and you know who's staying and and why they're doing it too, which I think often gets overlooked. That people want to put these players into a box kind of and say, okay, well, this person's going to the PLL and this person's going to the MLL. But really, you know, a lot of them have tough decisions that are based based on you know where they live, where they they want to settle down, uh, what. Other leagues they play in, you know, a lot of NLL guys are um, comfortable playing in just a league that they're going to find the most time at, and um, I think that's an important thing to to not get 
uh, lost in all this. But yeah, we really appreciate you, uh, you know, finding that, being that detective, uh, putting on that detective hat and kind of finding out the information. Um, I know a lot of people on Twitter have enjoyed it um, as well, but uh, not everyone was too impressed. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, Matt Cavanaugh, why he, why he wasn't a fan. You kind of ruffled his feathers a little bit, uh, I think, earlier. Oh, man. So so when when Jake Fricaro called me, called me Woj, um, Matt replied to him and he was like, oh, you mean the guy who got the Miles and Salcedo trade wrong? And uh, I, I wanted to, like, clarify to them. I was like, listen, what happened is I saw Mike Commodore tweet it. I was like, I think it's true. I'm going out there. I'm going out here and saying, you know, I'd heard different things, whatever. Uh, but it looks like Kami got this one. All credit to him. This this trade's happening. Mm-hmm. And then I had heard, um, you know, from some people that that it wasn't accurate. That yeah, the, the words used were that the, the were that Mike's tweet was inaccurate. Yeah. So I said, hey, I'm here and it's inaccurate. And then of course it comes out that it is true. So I, I you know, I tweeted the cab. I was like, listen, that's what happened. Hand up it's on me. I got that one wrong. Um, and then Cav said he'll never take me seriously because I left him off my uh, protected player projected roster. Yeah, yeah. I was oh man, he hit me hard with a Jonah Hill gif, you know, a super bad gif. And um, you know, I was it's I I think that kind of stuff's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm in my heart of hearts. I'm I'm assuming Cav is is you know most of that is having a good time, and I'm not really you know. These guys are pro athletes. I'm sure their hides are pretty thick, and they're not uh, they're not getting too offended by something like my you know random guy's uh, protected player projection or whatever. But you know, I thought you know it was fun, and um, you know I'm, I'm I hope I hope Cav was having fun with it too, and you know that that is what it is. I hope uh, I hope I don't get too many more wrong though. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't be able to stay in stay in this business if I get him, if I keep getting him wrong all the yeah. time. Yeah, well, I, I don't. I think that might have been your first one, and that one, to be fair, was going back and forth a lot. Um, but yeah, no, my my first thoughts actually when I saw Cav, uh, tweeting that, I was just like, wow, Cav read our article, uh, <laughs> which I thought was great, <laughs> and then I was like, Dan, that's how you know you made it. You have a you know professional athlete coming at you about something that you said. So, um, you know, I I took it too with you know just some playful banter and I, I just thought it was uh you know a little great back and forth and um you know I, I I don't think it's a puts a damper too much on on your street cred because if that's the only one you got wrong I, I think you're you're a good spot um but uh yeah let's kind of go into uh I'll just list off these players that you mentioned we have uh, right now eight that you released are expected to join the PLL uh we have the biggest name obviously Rob Pinnell that's not too big a surprise there and then we have Rylan Reese, who was on the Cans last year. Jesse Bernhardt, who was on the Bayhawks last year. His brother Jake, obviously, is in the, the PLL. Um, they both won championships last year in their respective leagues. Uh, and then you have Christian Mazzone, uh, TJ Camizio. They were both on the Blaze last year. Eli Gobrecht, Finn Sullivan, who were both on the Outlaws. And then Craig Chick, uh, who was on the Rattlers last season. So, you know, some guys that really, uh, you have a good mix. You have some veterans like, you know, Bernhardt and uh, Pinnell, as well as some guys who only played one season last year in the MLL, like, you know, Reese and uh, Craig Chick. So, you know, there, there's a lot of talent right there. Um, some solid names. Obviously, those aren't all the people that are coming over. You know, we do have to fill 14 of these draft slots. So I reckon there's probably around 20 to 25. I don't know. What, what have you kind of been seeing? How, how many do you think are actually coming over? You know, I had heard a long time ago, not that long ago, long ago that I should say it wasn't all that recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard the number was around 30. 
Okay. Um, so, you know, whether or not that's, that's still the case, uh, you know, I guess, I guess we'll find out. Um, it's, it's a substantial number of guys though. Yeah. And I, I think an interesting part of that is you'll have all these guys who are veterans coming, and then you're also going to have this college draft coming and just the numbers game with the guys that are already there, there just ain't that many spots. Like, you know, there's eight, 18 spots times seven teams. There's 126 guys addressing every weekend. And there's going to be well more than that um, in this league. You know, there were 150-something this year. Mm-hmm. And we're adding, you know, four, six draft rounds worth of guys to the league. You know, we're we're going to have that glut of talent. And there are, you know, I think there are different ways that I'll – that'll play out in terms of where guys wind up playing and everything. Um, you know, I, I plan on trying to cover that and, and write a little bit about that sort of in the, in the coming weeks as we get closer to, to the actual entry draft and, and college draft time. But I think that's a dynamic that's worth mentioning. And, and, you know, some people have replied to me or messaged me on Twitter about it is, you know, you keep dropping these names. We got drafts coming. Where are all these guys going to go? And yeah. it's a yeah. fair question. And I think that's why uh, the nice thing about having two leagues, you know, is that these players now have a lot of leverage. Um, you know, have leverage with, you know, what contracts they sign, and I think, you know, you'll see the college draft. I think you'll see some, you know, fairly big names maybe make the decision to go to the MLL. You know, it depends, you know, a lot. It depends on a lot of factors. Maybe they get a, you know, a full-time job out of college that they want to pursue, and it makes it easier on them to be in, you know, one location half the year. Um, you know, maybe... Uh, it is the fact that they, they think they're going to get more playing time and they've, you know, we're told that they're going to be the go-to guy, you know, on this team where that's not really as guaranteed in the PLL just because more talent is in the PLL. That is a fact. Um, that's not to say there's not premier talent in the MLL, but that is the fact right now. And those rosters are much smaller. So I, yeah, you're right. It's definitely going to be uh, a guessing game with, you know, who ends up where. And, uh, you know, I think these teams could look a lot different than what they were last year. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's um, there's definitely no shortage of talent still in the MLL. I would still happily buy a ticket to go see an MLL game. There's there's lots of guys out there that I would pay to watch play. Um, you know, I I it's it's going to be interesting because it's it's tough now. PLL players pretty much the standard deal for guys with with you know very few exceptions was a two year deal. And so obviously this is year two. So you know, as you're seeing guys flow from from one league to another, it's kind of a one way street this year. That might less, you know, not not really be the case if you're looking at spring uh, in 2021, where maybe some guys decide they want to go back to the MLL because, like you said, guys want playing time, and these guys, you know, you you want a full game check, you want you want to get paid, and um, in in these in these leagues, get that full salary check, that full you know share of your or your salary. You got to be on a travel roster. Guys who don't dress don't make as much money, so. Um, Guys are going to want that. There are guys who might, you know, count on that as part of their income, or or that becomes something that's more important to them. And, you know, I would also add that there are guys who put, you know, a priority on playing summer box lacrosse. And, you know, maybe one league is more open to the idea of guys saying, this week I'm going to go play summer box, and I won't be at my my MLL or PLL game or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And whatever league is like, okay, we're cool with that, versus maybe where they're not cool with that that's going to be where the summer box guys maybe want to go. No, absolutely. And I think that you see a, a lot of that, um, you know, a lot of NLL guys who are, you know, playing field, they, they view it as another way to, you know, keep the sticks in their hands. Um, but yeah, like you said, they're, they have priorities with the summer box league. And uh, again, their main season is 
the NLL. So yeah, it's definitely something to consider. And that's not to say it's favored in one league versus the other, because, you know, we've seen guys like Westberg and Curtis Dixon and Dane Smith commit to the PLL. And then there's other guys like Lyle Thompson and Randy Stotts and Shane Jackson that are, you know, in the MLL. So it's a good mix uh, of a lot of, you know, NLL talent in both leagues. But uh, yeah, no, that's definitely something uh, to consider. And I, that brings me to the final thing I want to talk about with the the player movement per se is Zach Courier. We don't really know where he's going to end up. We've heard different things. Um, you know, he was on the Outlaws last season. He's more of an NLL first guy, I would say, I guess, with the Roughnecks. But, you know, he's a top guy in the MLL as well. Where do you think he'll end up? You know, I had I had heard um, that the Outlaws looked like the place he was going to go back to. And then, you know, more recently than that, I had I'd heard that the, the PLL was going to you know, offer him a substantial amount of money that would be that would be hard for him to turn down. You know, I if if I had to bet today, I would I would bet he goes to the PLL. Um, but you know, having heard from essentially both sides of the coin, from MLL and and from PLL, um, you know, people with knowledge of the situation, I would say, you know, that that both sides of that have told me, oh yeah, he's going to come here. Um, you know, it's it's tough to it's tough to nail it down. It's really tough to nail it down. So. My my gut tells me that you know the the PLL offers him a, a salary that's that's pretty solid and and he takes it to go join the PLL and that's not gonna that's that's not to say that the money is the only reason he does it mm-hmm. you know I I I think that the you know that the talent level and the challenge of playing in the PLL is probably appealing to him yep. you know as as a competitor and everything I know there's other you know guys from um, his indoor teams and his from from Team Canada and everything that would be teammates of his if he went maybe depending on where he lands. I don't know where he's landing. If he goes, don't, don't construe that in any weird way. But, um, you know, he, um, he certainly has those connections and those relationships in, in place in, in the PLL. Um, he has them in the MLL too, but you know, the, the PLL is certainly, you know, they're, they're there and there are something he can move towards. So my, my gut tells me PLL for Zach Courier, um, you know, I, I can't like put a percentage on it or anything like that, but that's, that's kind of where I think he, he would wind up. Yeah, so we'll be definitely be uh, on the lookout to see where he eventually signs. Um, and then, you know, we got the, the lottery results uh, from the PLL. So that's something, too, that we're, you know, now monitoring because we still haven't, you know, had official confirmation that these guys are in the entry draft and we haven't gotten the, you know, full list of entry draft participants. But uh, the lottery results are out. The Water Dogs will pick number one overall, followed by the Chrome. Atlas, Archers, and then it deviates a little bit based on the percentage. The Whipsnakes actually got the fifth, which is amazing to me because they only had one ball in the lottery. Yeah, the one percenters. Yeah, it's crazy. But uh, that's pretty big gain for them. And then uh, it would be the Redwoods and the Chaos. That is the order of the lottery picks. Um, you know, it is a big belief, as you mentioned, that Rob Pinnell is going over. Do you think the Water Dogs will take him at number one overall? I mean, that's the general consensus, but... Um, do you, or do you think they'll, you know, mix it up and maybe take somebody else? You know, I've been, I was, I was messaging with some other lacrosse people, um, before I jumped on with you guys tonight and, you know, I've, I was texting with them and I was like, I'm trying to come up with scenarios where the water dogs don't take Rob Pinnell number one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, the water dogs went attack heavy in the expansion draft. So maybe they try, you know, if Zach Courier is in it, maybe they try and take him. And then, uh, you know, maybe the Chrome decides we have Jordan Wolf, so we don't want to take Rob Pinnell. So then Rob Pinnell winds up on the Atlas. Like, I was trying to come up with a scenario where Rob Pinnell plays with all the Team USA guys on the Atlas. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, by these, these 
guys and girls would text me back and be like, yeah, that sounds that sounds cool, except if Rob Pinnell isn't available in the draft and you're picking, you take Rob Pinnell. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to think of a way where the water dogs don't want to take Rob. Um, you know, with the guys that they drafted, and this is, you know, to Coach Copeland's credit, um, you know, made himself available for this, but he has guys at the attack spot who have been run out of the box before, and Cuccinello, yep. Uh, the Whip Snakes, I think, even ran Reeves out of the box a little bit. So, you know, if he wants to move around where those guys go, you know, you know, Ryan Drenner is probably going to be sitting on that righty wing, and you can bet Kieran McCarroll will be playing on the left. But if you wanted to try and make space for Rob at X with their personnel, they're they're able to do that and still utilize those attackmen that they drafted. So, you know, that's an excellent move by Coach Copeland in the expansion draft with the foresight that, you know, if, if this was coming – I have the ability to put Rob Pinnell in with these guys that I already that I already drafted via expansion. So it's it's tough to think that Rob won't go won't go first. After that, it gets a little dicey, but I think I think Rob will go first. No, absolutely. I I tend to agree with you. And you mentioned you know you you talked to Coach Copeland. I talked to him too. He he mentioned that how he he was looking for versatile guys, and he said too he's like there's a lot of great attackmen available, but he knew there was going to be attackmen probably available in the entry draft. He knew there was going to be ones in the college draft as well. And he said, it just wouldn't make sense for me to show up to training camp with a plethora of attackmen. It wouldn't do anyone any good. So he definitely had the foresight, um, whether he knew they would get number one pick. Obviously, you know, this was the lottery. He didn't, you know, there was no guarantee whether he knew Rob was even going over to the PLL. Uh, we don't know that either, but um, good on him to kind of have the foresight to, you know, get a, a more of a Swiss Army Knife type of team that he can really, you know, plug and play some guys where he needs them to. So that wraps up our PLL coverage. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll get into our MLL supplemental draft discussion. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. You can use Stitcher Premium to listen to shows ad-free such as Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine the Lost Trail, or our favorite, the Fantasy Footballers. For only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, and comedy albums. Better yet, if you go over to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code lacrosse today, you can get one month free. So head on over to Stitcher, sign up, and get your free trial today. All right, so welcome back. Let's kind of switch gears now to the MLL a little bit. You were actually at the Hammerheads Prefs Conference that they had last week. Um, so we're going to listen to some of that sound that you got. Uh, I could not be more delighted uh, from a major league across perspective uh, that we're launching a, a new franchise here in the state of Connecticut um, and more specifically right here in Fairfield. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to being here for a very long time and, and uh, we want to bring an experience to remember for our newfound Connecticut Hammerheads fans. We know we've learned a lot about this this market and uh, the growth of lacrosse here in, in, in Connecticut and in Fairfield County specifically um, is, is really important to, to our vision. Uh, but again, it's this is not about lacrosse. This is about being a community partner, 
working with community organizations that are lacrosse centric, not lacrosse centric, um, the local media, uh, local businesses and, and organizations, and, and we've already felt that that welcome, um, you know, welcoming um, feel from the local community and businesses across the board. So we're really excited to, to dig in. Um, there's a few things that are more, I guess, operationally centric that we're focused on right now with ticket sales and preparing jerseys, which this is the first look at the, the jerseys. If you wanted to hone in on that, we haven't released these officially uh, yet, but this is, that's a good sneak peek. Uh, our schedule was announced last week, so we have a lot of operational moving parts that are really uh, exciting as our, as our team starts to dig in um, and get ready for May 30th and, and, and opening day. So I thank you um, for, for sharing that vision because it's really important to the community-centric uh, element of what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, you know, amongst the six teams in our league, we, we talk on a daily basis about you know what should we be focused on, and you know one of the, the big conversations that we had in making a decision to, to you know position ourselves in, in Connecticut and be here is that opportunity alone. I mean, between Long Island and Fairfield County and really the state of Connecticut, the the opportunities are endless for the the number of you know, people playing lacrosse. They didn't mention you know the, the thirty one thousand. Uh, active lacrosse participants, it, that's, that's a huge opportunity. So, you know, whether it's the battle for the sound, I know our, you know, our last game, uh, last home game here is against the Lizards. Um, so I'm pretty confident we'll have something beefy for us to talk about and uh, get excited around. And, and the players alone, you know, they're, they're, you know, they have roots, right? Long, Long Island or, you know, the New York Lizards have a lot of players who are from Long Island and I don't, um, I don't think we'll be without kind of Connecticut-based players. Um, the, the, the activity amongst the players uh, or the groundswell amongst players in our league who want to be here is, uh, is, is very significant. They are excited about this move. I know Sean Evans is on the roster, who I know from Fox across a lot. He's kind of somewhat of a, a legend in, in the uh, lacrosse world. Is there a cross-pollination with Fox across and the MLA? Yeah, I mean, I, we, we've seen this over the last... I've been in Major League Cross for the last five seasons, and in the last five years, we've seen more and more indoor players play the field game, and vice versa. Um, the indoor league is, has expanded to, to 13 teams, and as they continue to grow, it opens up more opportunities for, for field players, and I think ultimately, in the, inside our sport, um, more players like Sean Evans is, is a full-time lacrosse player, whether he's playing indoor, from November through the end of May, and then outdoor from May until the end of August. Um, it's a really important piece for for the growth and development of making everybody, or not everybody, but our athletes full-time. Um, it's, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity. There's more marketing and endorsement deals in lacrosse than there ever has been. Um, you know, five years ago, when, if you were the first overall pick in our draft, you're probably getting some type of endorsement deal and, you know, of, you know, nominal um, dollars, but today the, the, those endorsement deals run deep. You're talking top 20 players, top 30 players are getting those types of deals, which is an important piece for the, the long-term growth of professional lacrosse. All right, so now that we've heard some of the sound that you got, uh, give me some of your thoughts uh, from this press conference. Well, I think it was uh, it was something where, you know, as, as the MLL continues to sort of get their strategy for this offseason built and everything, and even since last year, for them it's been all about the, the community connection 
and the and the sort of building in in the market um, and establishing partnerships in that market to try and you know try and build their presence there. And that sort of was was a lot of what you heard, I think, from Ian and and from uh, the commissioner from Sandy and everything. Where you know for them it's it's all about building that partnership. So there they're doing it. You know you saw it at the press conference where they had the Fairfield first select woman there. You had officials from Fairfield U where the Hammerheads are going to play their games. Um, they're trying to really build that build that connection with the community, and I, I think you heard that come through there. So that was my you know my thoughts about sort of where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought it was great that they had a um, you know a local lacrosse club there. They had a bunch of kids that got to come out and, and run around um, on the stadium field and everything like that, and, and you know meet the guys and see the new uniforms and see the MLL gear and all that. So. You know, I, I thought that was good, and you sort of build in some fans that way. These kids are going to be pumped to come back out in, in May and in June and throughout the summer to see some games. So, you know, I I, I thought it was um it was pretty well done for the MLL. Yeah, no, it was definitely a good move. Um, you know, it's a, a market that they hadn't been before. You know, they had been in a Bridgeport a long time ago, but that, um, you know, obviously now they're in Fairfield, uh, more central in Connecticut, and um, I think yeah, I think it was a, it was a good move by them to kind of again kick off their communal outreach. So, yeah, I thought it was a good move. And then you also talked to head coach Bill Warder a little bit. Um, he actually works at Hobart. So, um, you know, he's kind of back in that area per se rather than being, you know, having to fly out to Dallas. It's kind of, you know, being in the Northeast is going to be more convenient for him. But uh, he spoke, you know, how he kind of built uh, the team and, you know, the addition of Will Sands. You know, obviously he has a lot of guys returning from the Rattlers. So let's listen to what he had to say. I mean, we think we have a really competitive team. The roster we've put together so far uh, prior to the collegiate draft is, you know, a group of guys that uh, have, you know, won seven of the last eight games. So I think they're, you know, we're play play exceptionally well as a team, uh, team concepts, uh, support each other, play super high energy. Our goal, you know, simple and, uh, I mean, really keep it, keep it simple is to, to hoist that championship trophy at the end of the year. So, I mean, that, that's what it is at the beginning of every season. And I know this this group of guys, uh, players, is uh, you know believes believes we can do that. So, um, has some good veterans, some newer, younger draft picks from last year. So, it's a you know great mix of uh, talent. And, um, I mean, as far as the rivalries, I, I know Ian mentioned that during the during the press conference a little bit. I think you know, the obvious one. You were right in between Long Island and Boston. Those are, you know, two can be two. You were really natural rivalries. So I think it's, uh, um, you know, the, whether it's the Battle of Long Island Sound or or whatever it might be. But the Lizards are always, uh, you know, put a good product and you know, good team on the field. So we're super excited to to play them. And you know, the last game I coached in uh, last season was against Boston, and you know, Boston has puts on an amazing show and venue, and uh, you know, looking forward to playing them as well. Hi, Coach. This is uh, Dan Aresti. I'm from Pro Lacrosse Talk. You guys sort of uh, kicked off the, the, the player movement in the offseason with a big trade acquiring Will Sands. Can you uh, just explain a little bit how Will fits into what you guys do and if you, know, you are going to be sort of changing maybe your approach as an offense or, or anything like that as you, uh, as you approach the season? Right. So, you know, mid, midway through the season, you know, the, the season last year, we had – um, we we're trying to, you know, rework the offense a little bit, and one of the catalysts in that was, you know, we were finally able to. Uh, Jack Kern got healthy, and you know, Jack is a player was drafted three years ago, and you know, was a tour to final, you know, he was you know, a tour and watch list guy, phenomenal player, 
Um, he's a do-it-all attackman, dodger, feeder, shooter, um, highly skilled, um, exceptional player. We then inserted Brad Voigt. Brad Voigt's a you know pure lefty shooter finisher, and we had you know that really made our offense click because we had Bryce uh, Wasserman, who's a Bryce is a pure X Dodger, and so he's a he's a all you know really a exceptional player. Love Bryce. Uh, he's a you know all or nothing Dodger pretty much. You know, so he's a he's a guy that you know can dodge by anyone from X and can score his own goal. Um, Will is a player who is uh, incredibly balanced. Uh, feeder, dodger, scorer, leader. You know, he's from Long Island. Uh, he balances, you know, the combination of Curran, Voight, Sean Evans, you know, Sands, I think is, you know, all around it's uh, exceptional. I mean, it, it makes us a much stronger offense, balanced offense, stronger offense. Um, you know, Will has the ability, if you look at what, you know, Mark Cochran did last year in Boston, you know, a lot of that's due to, a, a guy passing him the ball, and you know that's what Will is. I think I, I'm expecting big, big things out of Brad Foyt. Um, you know, you have a righty Dodger and Sands feeder, you know, feeding it to a lefty shooter. And, you know, that's a, a huge, huge benefit to us. So it's a, it was a trade that was, uh, you, you know, thought of, proposed, and it fit. You know, really, uh, 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 it's a great trade for both teams. Um, you know, so we're we're super excited about Will and what he brings and his competitiveness and. And smarts and and uh, you know team mentality and leadership and uh, super excited. All right, so that's kind of what he had to say about you know building this Hammerheads team uh, for their inaugural season. Um, these coaches also got to make some moves too because the MLL supplemental draft uh, just occurred. Uh, we have the full list of draftees. It's uh, you know going to be on our website and uh, is also on the MLL website. So. Um, we won't go through all of them, but there are some guys that stood out to me. I'll let you go first, though, Dan. What were some of the guys on your list that you know kind of stood out that got taken in the supplemental draft? You know, a lot of those guys that got taken early on, um, I think, are standouts to me. You know, you saw Nate Solomon go to Chesapeake, and I know for, <laughs> I'm sure for Nate, it's been a frustration. But I think this is uh, his third team, maybe, or even his fourth team since he's been out of Syracuse. So. I'm sure he's hoping that that he sticks and he's got a home there and and he's you know I th- he's definitely good enough to play so you know I I hope that works out for him but he was a guy who jumped out to me I thought the BayHawks in particular um, made some selections where it was clear that they were not just looking for guys to fill spots and just be you know warm training camp bodies mm-hmm. they were looking at guys who they thought could play for them and you know guys who could make a roster so they had some great picks. Um, Drew Shantz getting picked, I thought was was good. He was a solid midfielder at uh, at Notre Dame, and he 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 dragged me on Twitter because I spelled his name wrong, and my journalism professors would be murdering me if they saw that. But um, but you know, Drew is Drew's a quality player as well. Um, guys like that being available at a supplemental draft level, you know, tells you sort of a little bit about just just the depth of talent that that does exist in the MLL that these guys can just be had either from the player pool or that other teams, you know, even with whatever, 25 protected spots just couldn't couldn't protect a guy like that. So, um, you know, that, those were the guys that really jumped out at me. Certainly, you know, I, I know a guy like Bobby Dubniak, who's from Manhasset, going to the Lizards, you know, who is a, a really highly regarded recruit out of the high school and had a really solid career at Harvard. Um, you know, Bobby can be a, a productive MLO player. So 
you know, there are guys in there that are going to make rosters. Um, there are other guys, you know, as you go further down the list where, you know, they're a little more of an unknown and you get the sense the teams are maybe trying to catch lightning in a bottle or, or grab a guy who just wows people at camp and then maybe makes a spot or something like that. But, you know, there's there's meaningful guys there. The MLL did a good job this week, I think, you know, on, on social media sharing images of guys from the past who were taking them supplemental draft. And it's named, you know, it's Greg Gurenly and it's Dylan Ward. Like it's, these are all world players yeah, that were right. subdraft sub guys. So, you know, there's there's names in this list who will be playing in in meaningful minutes and meaningful games in the MLL this summer. So, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see who the guy is that maybe was a bit down the list that everyone thought maybe was just a roster filler who who turns heads this summer. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, some of the things you you kind of touched on a little bit that stood out to me. Um, too is you know they they tried to get some of these hometown guys you know you have like a Jordan Crew he's a Philly native and you know was a standout at Cabrini they won the national championship uh, last spring um, he was picked up by the Barrage you know and then you got a guy like um, you know Anthony Gidokim who's on the wings get picked up by the Barrage uh, and that kind of leads me into there's a lot of NLO guys that I was surprised to see the biggest name being Callum Crawford who was drafted by the BayHawks um, so. He right now is the currently leads the NLL in goals and points. I mean, having him play the field game, I think, would be huge. And he currently plays with Andrew Q, who uh, is you know rookie with the Black Wolves. Uh, was taken number three overall in the NLL draft and is having a great season with the Black Wolves this year. Um, he scored the game winner with the BayHawks last season. Um, so I think maybe they're looking to, to pair those guys together. Uh, some other you know names on the the BayHawks. You got Dan Lomas, who just had a sock trick against the Riptide this past weekend, and Holden Garland, uh, who's on the rush. There's some NLL talent, that um, some big names that are you know kind of making the jump, I guess, to the MLL, you could say. Um, and I, I'm excited to see kind of how they do. Yeah, you know, I think it's an interesting thing to do for, for the MLL is to, is to take, you know, you mentioned some of the relationships that those guys have, put them in places where they're playing with familiar players and, and you know, put guys out there who are names, you know, like you said, Callum Crawford is, is, is more than just a name. He's a really, really good lacrosse player. So putting him out there and, and, you know, he'll bring some fans with him, I'm sure, you know, so I thought that was a good move. And then, like you said, the geographic connections for some of these, for some of these draft picks, you know, the lizards, every single player they took was from New York. The, um, the Philly barrage, I think, I think I looked at like six of the picks of theirs were Pennsylvania guys, if not directly, Philadelphia guys. So, you know, I, I, I love that the teams are doing that. You know, I teased on Twitter today, just, you know, a little separately from this, but that um, the barrage and the lizards are, are actively engaged in discussions around a trade that will send um, Kevin Crowley to, to the barrage, mm-hmm. I, you know, especially in a market like Philly, that's such a tight knit across and sports community. They love having those local guys that they can cheer for. You know, Crowley is, is awesome with the wings there, and, you know, he's he's a great ambassador for the sport. So having him on the barrage in that market I think would be great for the league if that if that trade happens. Um, but, you know, like like you had said, the, the geographic connection around some of these subtraft picks certainly makes sense in, in that regard. And, again, like I said, it's, it's not necessarily just warm bodies and it's just because they're there. You know, they got drafted because, well, he lives in Pennsylvania and the team's there, so it's going to be easy for him to get to camp or whatever. You know, there's, there's, um, there's, there's guys out there that are going to make a difference. No, absolutely, and we're looking forward, you know, to seeing them play. And uh, yeah, we talked to Spencer Ford, you know, recently Adam did, and you know, he talked about that. He wants to kind of bring that Philly mentality to this Barrage team. It's not really, he doesn't view it as you know the Blaze getting supplanted into Philadelphia. He views it as a whole new team, a whole new, uh, 
you know, opportunity to build a team from the ground up and uh, embed in those Philly roots. So we're looking forward to it. Um, Dan, this has been awesome having you on. We'll definitely have you on again. You know, we appreciate all you've done for the Pro Lacrosse Talk. Um, and I think you've done a great job with a lot of your articles on that, you know, looking at things through a different lens. You did one where you examined all the best parts from the major four sports leagues and what that could bring, we could bring to lacrosse. And I, I think you're kind of, you know, starting to do that a little bit too with your own personal brand. Um, but so I just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast and, you know, helping us grow this thing. Yeah. And if you remember in that, in that article, I said, what we really need is for social media to go nuts with rumors during the off season, because that's the best part of everything. And look what Miles Jones is putting on his Instagram story. He's just putting bears up and then deleting them and you get a, a whirlwind of rumors around it. Right. How fun is that? Absolutely. You know, that's, I think that the best thing, I mean, I think the thing you proposed was Justin Gutterding going to Redwood's forest i i'm pretty sure that that's pretty close to what we got so and sharing a photo with a just an eyes emoji like the eyes emoji is just doing wonders for our sport right now oh my gosh it's 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 amazing um and i talked to pat harbison sometimes you can't tell if they're trolling us or not pat harbison had no idea what they were talking about but he joined in on the fun and it got us all fooled so it got us all talking so um, it's good that the, the lacrosse players themselves, the players in these leagues are having fun with it as well. Well, they got, they're the ones who got to make it go. You know, it's, if, if they're not doing it, then we, you know, the media can't talk about it. So I think that they're having fun and, you know, it's, I, I, it's, it's a great time for the sport. Absolutely. Well, uh, we appreciate you coming on, Dan. This wraps up part one of this mega podcast episode. Uh, you guys can head over to part two of this episode on our podcast feed, and we'll pick up with Adam and my discussion on this crazy NLL Week 14. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. You can use Stitcher Premium to listen to shows ad-free such as Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine the Lost Trail, or our favorite, The Fantasy Footballers. For only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, and comedy albums. Better yet, if you go over to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code lacrosse today, you can get one month free. So head on over to Stitcher, sign up, and get your free trial today.